You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And Merry Christmas to everybody. It's good to be back. Pastor Lisa and I were on vacation Last Sunday, we were sitting by the ocean, and we were staring at the ocean, and today we're staring at you, and we prefer staring at you rather than the ocean. I thought that was, you were not expecting that, were you? Hey, vacations are great, but man, it makes a a lousy lifestyle. So, no, we're glad to be back, and I appreciate Pastor Ben sharing last Sunday, and uh, I did watch it online later. He said, Pastor Greg and Lisa are probably watching this right now. We weren't. (laughs) (laughs) So, we, uh, hey, we were, we, we, uh, we are not tourists. We, like, find a remote, nothing spot. Where we were, Starbucks hasn't even made it yet. Like I said, it's a great vacation. You just don't want to live there. But uh, anyway, it's good to be home. Uh, Today, we're going to wrap up this series called Genesis Foundations for an Unsteady World. And uh, that's the eighth message. And so I'm going to tell you in advance, we're going to be reading Genesis 50. And I'm going to be preaching actually all of the story of Joseph all the way back to 37 because it's 14 chapters. And usually I go verse by verse, but not today. I'll be going, what I say, the concepts of Joseph's life. And I think you'll see why we're going in that direction today. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word, if you would? And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to read verses 15 through 21 because it does set up the message. So let's begin. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that your ministry, as it it flows through the message, would not only touch our minds, we like those things, God, that that prick our conscience, that that cause us, God, to pause and, and review and look at our life. But we also pray that same Holy Spirit will speak to our heart, Speak to the motives and the desires and the reasons for what we do in life. Align us more with what you want out of us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. 
So as we're wrapping up this series today, one of the things I've always done is try to relay some facts and insights about the book of Genesis or the passage that we're reading so that you could have a little more appreciation the next time that we look at. And a lot of times I'm emphasizing history because uh, among followers of Christ and even those who aren't followers, there's a somehow this mentality that biblical history is different from world history. We don't see necessarily that the two flow side by side. We kind of think they're contradictory, and they're not. World history confirms biblical history. Biblical history confirms world history. And so uh, I'll just give you a little bit of insight. Uh, I've used this, but now Joseph is on the precipice. It's not in chapter 50. We didn't read it today, but this there's a part. He passes away in Genesis chapter 50. And so by this season of Joseph's life, the, the uh, Great Pyramid at Giza, that's the one that everybody takes a photo of and puts it in the book or it's online. It's the biggest pyramid of them all. It's the most famous. By that time, by the time Joseph passes away, that Pyramid of Giza is about 730 years old. And the Sphinx, how many have ever seen a photo of the Sphinx? Okay, by that time, the Sphinx is about 780 years old. So it's a different kind of history because here we are as a country and, you know, we're maybe pushing 250 years and, you know, our idea of, of, of history is a building that has survived 100 years. And even by Joseph's timeline, he is already super, because he's number two in the land, he's over the labor, so he's also over some of these structures. He's managing structures that are already 730 and 780 years old, and some of the other pyramids would be pushing 1,000 years old. So it's, it's kind of hard for us to understand that there's that much history. Now for you Egyptian buffs, just want to let you know that Joseph, he lived during the 13th dynasty. That was the most affluent period of time in Egyptian history was the 13th dynasty. And so uh, if you know, any, if you know uh, history of Egypt, you go, man, I didn't need to know that. If you don't know Egyptian history, you just went, oh, so there was 12 other dynasties. <laughs> okay. I don't expect that to impress everybody, but anyway, if you want to do a little more digging around to see the uh, life, uh, and isn't it ironic, the best time in Egypt's history was when God had his people in charge. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, because it even tells us in Proverbs that the city is blessed because of the righteous. Right? Hey, man, what you do matters. What you do becomes somebody else's miracle. It's not just about putting food on your table. It's about helping other people. And God has a way of using his people to do above and beyond what they thought. So what we're going to look at Joseph's life today is this. We're going to look at his, the concepts as it relates to his dreams and his visions for what he had in life, because at the end of his life, he says that, hey, you intended harm, but God meant this for good. But it all started off with a dream, and that dream literally turned into a nightmare. And when your dream turns into a nightmare, it's really easy to start saying, well, maybe that wasn't such a good dream after all. And we fail to understand what our role is in cultivating the dreams and aspirations that sometimes God puts in our heart. And the other part is this, how do we adjust for the unexpected? A little exercise that I'm going to give you this morning, and I don't mean physical exercise like get up and run around, okay, the, a mental exercise for you today. Everybody ready for a mental exercise? Most of us could not see our life 10 years ahead in the way that it turned out. So let's just think a minute. When you were 10 years old, 
Could you, did you see how, when you were 10, did you see how your life would turn out when you turned 20? I don't know about you, I didn't. I didn't even know the college I went to existed when I was 10. Okay, so no, and I didn't even know much less what my major was going to be. When I was 20, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't see what my life was going to look like when I was 30. I know what I wanted it to look like, but when I turned 30, it didn't look remotely at all what I thought was going to be when I was 20. How many are getting a witness on this right now? And then when I was 30, okay, my life, what I thought would turn out by 40, did not remotely look like when I was 40. It was, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't even remotely what I thought it was. And then, you know, after you go after that, I have to wait because I'm not quite there at the 50 mark. <laughs> I just feel like I got judged. <laughs> but I think if all of us do that mental exercise when you were 40, were, did, were you able to anticipate what your life would look like when it was 50, as it t- when you were 50? And you start to realize like this, okay, it's good. If you're not careful, you'll go, well, then why dream? No, 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 no. It's okay to have goals, dreams, aspirations. But what we fail to understand is this. The road between where I am now and what I see in my future, it's, it's not the goal it's the issue. It's, it's the road that I don't see. And sometimes there are turns and twists and detours and there's things. And, I ha- and we all have to have what we call a, an ability to adjust to what God is doing because for you and I, we have this We have the destination in mind. And God says, oh, but I want to have you, I want to give you an adventure in your journey. We just want the the end product. And God says, yeah, but I want you to have a fun ride. I want you to have an exciting ride. I want you to, I want, I want you to, I want you to see mountains and I want you to see valleys. I want, I want you to, I want you to see the well-watered plains. I want you to see the deserts because it's all beautiful. And you're like, "Uh, no, no. Just port me to the end, Jesus. Just take me to the end. And that's what we see in Joseph's life. Because, like I said, if you'd have met Joseph early on, you would have said, your dream has turned into a nightmare. And we all know that lives that go into a nightmare usually end in a nightmare. But Joseph's life didn't. He kept cultivating. And that's what I want us to look at today. So here's the theme of what the message is. Why don't people realize their dreams? Everyone in this room at some point has had dreams and aspirations. Some of them may become a reality, and maybe some of them did. Some of them propelled you and and gave you direction, but others you may say, it never happened. And it becomes important for us to go to the Bible and say, okay, how do I navigate these things that I really set my heart on and they didn't happen? Is it, was it God? Was it me? What do I need to do? And so we're going to walk through Joseph's story on how he nurtured and adjusted the dream that he knew that God had for him, but Joseph completely misread the journey that was going to lead that, to that dream. And everybody said amen. So number one, read it out loud. Unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. One of the things that can cause us not to get to our dreams is this. We have unrealistic expectations. They're not possible. They're not, they're not what we, we, we sometimes think sincerely, but they're not the real deal. And they're sources of these unrealistic expectations. Where do they come from? Sometimes it comes from other people. In a, 
in a desire to protect us, sometimes people will affirm us when we need to be corrected. And so we're so we sometimes don't give people honest feedback and we build them up for a failure. Oh, you know who they are. Turn on America's Got Talent and you sometimes see a person going, Dear Lord, who told this person they could sing? And now they're on national TV embarrassing themselves. And they go, well, my grandma said I was a great singer. And my mom said I was a great singer. And, well, family didn't necessarily do that person any kind of failure or, or, or a good thing. And so now they're on national TV embarrassing themselves because they didn't want to hurt their feelings. Man, you should have, you should have broke the news to them. You can't carry a tune. You, you just, it just, it's not good. Don't do it, okay? We have a good name, and we want to keep it that way. <laughs> but the other side of it is sometimes people go to the other end, and they're negative on us. They can say things that, in an effort, for whatever reason, they're just, they just say negative things. They don't have anything good. They don't see what you're capable of. They just see your flaws, I thought of the story because my wife and I had some, back where we were, we had the ability to, uh, some friends of our, uh, a close couple, and they had, they had come from a family where neither side of the family had, uh, had bought a home. They were, they were renters. There's, there's nothing wrong. But they had a dream to buy a home. And so in their first three years of marriage, those were the days when you had to save up 20%. So for the down payment, the bank said, you know, they went on and talked to you. So, I mean, they pinched pennies, man. They hustled, and they finally saved up enough to buy their first house after three years of marriage, to go buy their first house. And they invited this guy, they, he invited his parents to come along because he, he wanted them to be a part of the celebration of shopping and, and seeing us. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't buying a magnificent, it was just, it was just the starter home. It's like, we're getting started. And his dad just blew up the whole thing. In the middle of the showing, his dad said this to the realtor, you might want to get some other homes lined up for them to look at because my son has a propensity to have champagne taste on a bologna budget. Man, what was supposed to be the highlight? Just, and... You know, we just said, well, don't take them on the next house you go look at. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah you, just, you just can't, yeah, don't, don't take them with you. I mean, and just to watch, critic, it's like, and I was like, where, why would somebody say that to somebody? And so they, by the way, I got to tell you how the story played out because they did buy their first home. And six years later, his dad came to him. His dad is now 57 at that time, never had owned a home, and he told his son, smartest thing you ever did was buy a house. And he said, and me and your mom are getting ready to buy our first house. And, be, and so he had an opportunity to take a negative and turn it into a positive and be an example to his dad. But my point being is this, sometimes the criticism People say things about you. It comes from other people. And you know what? You have, to put your, you have to put some distance between them, you and them, because they're toxic. They don't have anything good to say. It's all negative. Uh, no matter what the storyline is, some of you know what I'm talking about. People who have the ability to make drama when there is no drama. 
And you want to go, hey, there's no drama. And they just kind of feel like that's their gifting. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and you're just like, why do you do that? Well, it's a gifting. Well, no, it's not a gifting. It's a flaw. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, you just want to go, man, why, why, do you, why do you do that? And then the other one is this. It's, sometimes it's ourselves. We have unrealistic expectations about ourselves. We can, as I said, one of the hardest things is self-awareness. What, what am I good at and how good am I? Because one thing is this, I can have things in my life that I'm not tapping, that God has given me as a resource, but the other side of it too, I can have an overinflated view of myself and I'll set myself up for failure there. And so God help me to see who I am, what I'm capable of, and help me to be able to channel it in the right direction. And I see this in, in, in the life of Joseph. He had other people who were negative about him. His brothers hated him, hated him so bad they sold him into slavery. Now that's, that's criticism, folks. And yet, you never read a story of Joseph having a pity party in the prison. He may have, it just never got recorded. And Joseph was able to maintain and cultivate a dream that on, on the appearances, it looked like it turned into a nightmare. And so here, let me give you a couple things here. Dreams that are attainable. How do you know when it's a dream and how do you know when it's a fantasy? Can I get a witness? We've all watched somebody in our life who said they had a dream, and as it began to play out, you said, you know, you might want to come up with plan B, plan C, and they're like, oh no, I'm all in, I'm going there, and you're just like, man, you know, this is not good, you're, you're going to crash and burn, you need to adjust, you're not, you're not modifying, and what happens is this, what they called a dream was a fantasy. And by the time they realized that they had maybe destroyed themselves financially, they may have destroyed relationships around them. And so let me give you a couple of these things, and you will see this in Joseph's life. Number one, we have to have affirmation by the right people. I did not say affirmation by people. I said affirmation by the right people. He had affirmation, even in prison, Potiphar had good things to say about him. And even though Potiphar had to send him back to prison, Potiphar had good things. It was his Potiphar's wife that didn't have good things to say about. And so Potiphar actually spared Joseph's life because what Joseph was accused of was, a, was a, an offense that should have been, he should have been executed for. So Potiphar, and then the other one is this. It still says that the prison guards or the warden saw the blessing and promoted Joseph, he was over the workforce, even while he was in jail himself. And then it says, got around Pharaoh, had an opportunity to interpret a dream. So having the right people around us. Number two, compatible with your gifting. Joseph didn't try to do something that he wasn't gifted at. He was a good organizer, a good administrator, a good leader, and he could interpret dreams. And he stayed with interpreting dreams. He didn't go outside his gifting. He functioned in what God had created him for. And then opportunity. There, even though Joseph was doing things right, there are some things that if God doesn't bring the opportunity, it's just not going to happen, folks. And if you're not careful, you'll kick down a door that you'll regret, regret later that, he kicked, that you kicked down. Because I've learned this. When God shuts the door, there's something on the other side you don't want. Okay? 
knowing and understanding when he opens the door, there's a blessing. But when God shuts the door, leave it shut and let him produce the opportunity. How many of you have ever said a prayer and now years later you're grateful to God he did not answer that one? Oh man, I, I, I have prayed some real doozies over the years. I am so grateful as I look back like, that was a real blessing that you didn't answer that. Well, that was a real blessing you didn't answer that one either, or that one, or that one, or that one. Sometimes we just think what's on the other side of that door is what we want. And then it's not. But how many know once that door is open, you're going to get whatever's on the other side? And then there's this, timing. God can put you in the right place at the right time with the right people. And there are some days you just got to believe that and just let it happen. And in fact, I think this takes more faith because we want to be the people, especially American culture, we are people who like to go out and make things happen. I mean, that's all the secular teaching, the leadership, this, you know, this leadership training and everything is initiative and get out there and do it. And, and you know what? Let me tell you, I'll take a person over initiative any day than a person who doesn't have initiative. So I'm not saying back it down, but you start to recognize that even your best effort, if there's not a divine element in that effort, if there's not a timing thing that happens, your work is never enough. There was a great commercial out years ago, and it was an investment commercial. Some of you may remember this, some of you may not. But it was this guy and a girl, and they were sitting at a dinner in a restaurant, and they were sitting at a table, and you could tell that they had feelings and emotions for one another. And the commercial opens up, and she looks at him and says, I love you. And he's looking square into her eye. And he just sits there all stoic. After about 10 seconds, he hasn't said anything. So she gets up from the table and walks out of the restaurant. Five seconds after she walks out, he goes, I love you too. And the commercial was an investment firm. Timing is everything. <laughs> Come on, men, can I get a witness? Amen. You're like, dude, you're five, you were about 15 seconds too late on that. I love you. You needed to. You said the right thing. You're just late, you know. There's timing. As much as you try to make it happen, there are some things that you just have to leave in God's hands and just be ready. And the other one is this, resource. Either God gives you the idea or it's not going to work. Either God provides the resources, an idea, the t uh, a window of opportunity, a, uh, the, the materials, the re just the list is on. There are so many things. You know, if God just doesn't provide, it's not happening. It's not going to work. Now, instead of saying, well, then why try? You know, it's easy to go, well, then I'm not even. No, 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 no. I think that produces this, that my efforts, listen to me, this is critical you catch this, that my efforts are based on a prayer that, God, I'm doing all that I can to do, but in the end, I know that if you don't give me the timing and you don't give me the resources and you don't provide the re opportunity and if I don't find the right people, and I don't operate within my gifting, God, I'm well aware that this effort is useless. Now, God, 
I'm not leading with my effort and then adding a prayer, bail me out. I'm leading with prayer, saying, guide what I do. I am under no illusion that my giftings and my abilities can do what needs to be done. Put me in the right place at the right time. I've said this a couple weeks ago. Best prayer I think you can pray is, show me what you're doing today, Jesus. I'm all in. It's so easy to pray what we want to happen in that day. But Jesus said, Father is always at work. So when you leave here, he's, out, he's already working. So the question is this, do you know what he's up to or do you not know? So if you don't know, the best thing you can say is, show me what you're doing, then I know what my response needs to be. I can't walk in obedience if I don't know what he's up to. I don't, if he, I don't know what the activity is that he's doing in somebody's life. Everybody said amen? Here we go, number two, read it out loud. Uncooperative uncooperative circumstances recognizing that this is part of the journey we get this mentality that if i get a dream and i have a vision i'm gonna that somehow it's just smooth sailing because i have a word from god no i got news for you because you got a word from god you are going to be tested like you have never been tested before because the enemy knows you just got a word from god getting a word from god you might as well just paint a target on yourself now some of you are going, well, I don't want to have a word from God. <laughs> so let's look at Joseph. He got a dream, right? What happened? Went into a nightmare. He was hated by his brothers. It says they had nothing kind to say to him whatsoever. So it was snide remarks all day. Finally, they sell him into slavery. He works his way out to a respectable position. He's still a slave, but at least it's a decent position. And he's falsely accused of sexual assault. In that day, you're just guilty. No hearing, no court. You're just guilty. And so back to prison he goes. And so now he's in the prison for not only being a slave before, they thought probably for criminal activity. Now he's in the prison and they say, yeah, you're the one who sexually assaulted uh, Potiphar's wife. Nobody wants that tag on them. And then he finally finds somebody to help in the prison. And by the way, his help was he saved the guy's life. How many know you never forget the guy who saved your life? This guy did. So Joseph spends a few more years in prison, all because a guy forgot. We always see these stories of people, DNA was retested, and we find these people that have been in prison for unjustly for years on end, and I don't know how that hits you, but it always hits me, and I'm going, man, how could that have happened? I mean, I want our judicial system to be stellar. How, 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 could, how could that have happened to a person when the evidence was there and nobody tested it. Nobody checked it. It just, and I think, man, I, I, I grieve for the person who I'm grateful that are getting out. But I think, how hard that must be to know you lost so many years of your life just because somebody didn't want to be thorough. And here's Joseph doing extra years, all because a guy goes, "I forgot." I don't know about you, but I. I'd little, I would be asking for a little more explanation than that. So uncooperative, but the Bible tells us this, John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble. Do you, do, 
Do you notice that's written as a promise? I'll wait for the amens to die down. You will. doesn't say might, you could. Strong possibility says you will. There are a lot of promises I wish God had not made. That's one of them. Then you come over to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed. But not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not, astro- not destroyed. Wow, what a vision statement for a church. What's your vision statement? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Come join the bridge. I mean, you're just kind of like, yeah, that's just, that's just not an attractive uh, little phrase. That's just, that just doesn't work. The Bible tells us this. And then you come over to a, a fact that I ran across. We sometimes look at people who have made it in life. And I'm talking just in a secular sense, that, that, that brush stroke. Man, look, look where they, I'd give anything to be. Listen to this. Of the 300 most successful people who have ever lived, one-fourth had a severe physical challenge, and three-fourths came out of poverty, a broken home, or a disturbed childhood. They didn't have an easy road. They just said, I can adjust. I can adjust. I will adjust. But I am not stopping the momentum of my life just because I have some issues over here and some challenges that are causing me great uh, fear, anxiety, and pain. No, I am not going to let that stop my life. And so even, pe- listen, even people who don't many times have an orientation towards faith know this. Okay? Uncooperative circumstances is a part of life. Adjust. Thrive. Grow develop anyway number three read it out loud unresolved unresolved conflicts we have to have we have to deal with unresolved conflicts with others romans 12 18 says if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone did you notice it says as far as it depends on you if it is possible Because guess what? There are some people that you can't make peace with. Not because you didn't put in an effort. Not because you weren't sincere. They weren't. Hardest thing in life is to recognize when a person is toxic. And that they don't want peace. They don't want harmony. They create drama. They feel that that's their gift. They feel that they make life exciting for other people. By bringing drama and creating problems and issues. They can't stand you to be in peace. And the Bible says, look, man, you just do the best you can. And you know what? And when you do the best you can, it doesn't work. Sleep good. Sleep good. You did the best you can. You tried everything. They don't want peace. They don't desire it. But that doesn't, listen, if you're not careful, hear me. This is a little thread here that if you forget everything else I say, please catch this. Sometimes if if we're not careful, we'll try to seek the approval of someone who has no intention of giving it to us. And by that, they will hold you hostage. 
just when you think you're about to get their approval, they move it. And you, oh, just one more effort, and you, and they moved it again. And so, and then they, oh, you almost had it. You almost had my approval. I almost was about to say, God bless you. Hear me. Love is a gift that you give to another individual. It's not always earned. It's given. It's something, so when my kids were young, I would do this. I don't even know if they knew what I was doing when I did it, but I would sometimes always rehearse them with this. I would say, do you know I love you? And of course, when they were little, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know why I love you? Oh, because I cut the grass. Uh, I clean my room. You know, and I, no, no, no. Well, do you know why I love you? No. You're my daughter. You're my son. Now, after a while, they figured it out. You know why I love you? I know I'm your daughter. You know why I love you? Yeah, I know. I'm your son. But I, I wanted them to understand that love was not based on achievement. It was based on identity. Now, how proud I can be of you depends on your decisions. <laughs> can I get a witness from every mom and dad? There are some days I can be a little more proud of you because of the choices that you make, and there's other days I can't be as proud. But you're always my son, and you're always my daughter. That's a gift. You, have, you don't ever have to earn that. I gave that to you the day that we, listen to me, that we found out you were inside your mother's womb. You don't start loving a child when it comes out. You start loving a child the day you find out it's in there. Yeah, that's a statement by Pastor Hackett based on where he thinks life begins. <laughs> the other one is unresolved conflicts inside of us. Those are the hardest ones to deal with. We all have, we all have these battles with our habits and our attitudes that are inside of us. Everyone in this room has done this mental gymnastics where you just went, come on, get your act together. And you're talking to yourself, you know, come on, try harder, come on, what's wrong with you? How many have ever told yourself, come on, you knew better? Okay, I just found the five to 20 people who need to go to counseling. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we all, we all do this self-talk, trying to get going. And one of the things to combat this is understanding what the Word says. So procrastination. Well, Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us the number of our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know what the problem with procrastination is? You're convinced you've got tomorrow. And I don't want to rain on your party, but can you show me in the Bible where you're guaranteed tomorrow? Now, I can say you probably got a good likelihood. Life's looking good. The momentum's well. But I got news for you. There, you will not find the promise that you will have tomorrows. So one of the things to deal with procrastination is, is I might not have it tomorrow, so I better handle it today. Then the other attitude is discouragement. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because here's how discouragement works. It says nothing move you. When you, get, when you get scared, fear causes you to get weak legs and weak knees. 
And then discouragement says, give it up, walk back. Uh-uh. We don't, followers of Jesus don't walk away. When everybody else is running away from a problem, Christians run to it and say, what can I do to help? When, when other people are bailing out saying, whoa, 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 man, Christians are saying, what do you need me to do? What? Christians don't identify problems alone. Christians identify the solutions to those problems. So while everybody else is getting discouraged, Christians find courage and say, what can I do? And then the other one is this, doubt. We get into the self-talk about ourselves that maybe I can't, maybe I'm in over my head. Can I just tell you, we're all in over our heads. If I wasn't in over my head, I wouldn't need Jesus. I need Jesus because I'm in over my head. We're all in over our heads. So understanding Hebrews says this, and without faith it's impossible to please God. We have to believe and have hope that my life has purpose and meaning today, that my life has meaning and purpose tomorrow. I need to have faith that I'm, listen, that you, that me, we're all on a mission from God. Literally. And he put us here. So I have a reason to get up and go tomorrow. I have a reason to do what I do. Because why? Because I have faith that he created me with a purpose and an identity. When we were a marathon, you're like, it's like anything when, you're, when we're on vacation. We're down in, in this beautiful area. We're out in the middle of, you know, just, just all the, everything that we like to do. Nothing. <laughs> nothing was everywhere. It was wonderful. Okay? And, uh, you know, and then you start going, oh, I think I could live down here. And then you're like, nah, this is a great vacation, but it's a lousy lifestyle. Come on. You've said the same thing when you're on vacation, and then your wife says, we don't have enough to live here. you got to go home and make the house payment. <laughs> but my great temptation came. We went to this restaurant on the water, and they literally get the seafood that morning, and they serve it. And I, they had jumbo shrimp, 50 cents a piece for jumbo shrimp. I said, that doesn't sound like there's any middleman here. He said, no, fresh out of the Gulf this morning. I said, bring them on. He said, well, we have 50-cent wings, too. I said, I, I can get wings in Warrington. <laughs> Don't be bringing me none of that wings, baby. Load me up on that jumbo shrimp for 50 cents. You know, and you're just kind of like, well. And then, you know, you just go, this is, this is a great vacation, lousy lifestyle. I can tell you, we were actually itching to get back. Why? Because we like doing life with you. We like, we like a purpose and a meaning of having a reason to get up t tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Vacations are wonderful. Makes a lousy lifestyle. We all need that rest, but we were never meant to stay there. We were created for good works. We were created to impact people. We were created to get things going. So yeah, so we're glad to be home. We missed you. Yeah. Have no problem saying that. And part of this is, is, is resisting the doubt that my life has meaning. Resist the doubt that it doesn't matter. Yes, you do matter. You do have meaning. You do have purpose. You do make an impact. No, you don't want to go off into some remote place and just be by yourself the rest of your life. No, you don't. You weren't created for that. You are somebody's miracle, and it's amazing. 
Somehow you get something out of the deal too. Everybody said amen. amen. Number four, read it out loud. The enemy without. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 7. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Joseph, no doubt, even though that was written well after Joseph lived, no doubt that describes he knew there was something in that prison that wanted to take him out. And Joseph wouldn't let it happen. You see, if you quit, it's over. But if you don't quit, the fight is on. It doesn't mean it's going to be hard and tough. But it's not over until you quit. So you don't quit. Quitting is not an option because that's sealing your face. So you, you hang in there. You keep trying. You keep moving forward. Because why? Because this is a spiritual battle. That tells us right there. And then we're shocked when there's a spiritual battle. Why is this happening? The Bible told you there's a spiritual conflict and there's a lion out there in the, and it's trying to devour you. And then you're all shocked when you hear the roar. No. Nah. It's part of the journey. The last part is this. Everybody say sovereign detours. So as we, it was 1,150 miles to where we were. So we drove, we drove back. And you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I plan everything. Because I'm not on vacation until we get there. My wife is on the vacation as soon as she closes the door and we're still in the garage. And as, as we're driving... Did you know that every major city is under construction right now? <laughs> I am not kidding you. I don't mean a lane. I mean every major city looks like the I-66 right now. Just bridges and things and there's detours and you know, you're just... And so my wife was like, relax, relax. I said, yeah, it's because you're not driving. You don't have to navigate all this. Get behind the wheel and see how your stress level goes up. But here's the thing. We got detoured many times. It never changed the destination. I saw parts of America that I didn't really want to see. Did you know there's actually people living out there? My conversation was, what does one do for a living out here? They have a long commute. The signs of a... So how do, you, how do you know when you're on a sovereign detour? Number one is this. You know God's hand is upon you. Joseph never doubted that God's hand was upon him, ever. You never read. He said, he never said, where are you, God? Joseph always knew God was there period. Never, ever doubted. And the thing is, can you honestly say, I know God's hands on me right now. That's critical. Because if you don't, then you need to say, slow me down, God. Where are you? Call out. 
and I will adjust my course and come to you. Sometimes we can get going at a frantic pace. Instead of Jesus leading us, we leave him in the rearview mirror. And sometimes it's, you need to tap the brake and go, oops, I don't think I was supposed to be leading the convoy. He was. And the second thing you notice about Joseph is this. You know you're doing right. Joseph knew he was right. Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him. He said no. She grabbed hold of him and he ran. That's exactly what you do when sin tries to take hold of you. You run. And he was still put back in prison. But Joseph always knew he was right. He knew. He knew what his brothers did was wrong and he knew that he was right. And he knew that he was right when Potiphar had to put him back in. And he knew he was right when the cupbearer forgot him. He knew he was right. He was disappointed, probably frustrated, but he never doubted. Maybe I was wrong. He never read that he said that. The other one is this. So what's our response to sovereign detours? What should my response be when I realize I'm, I'm in one of those? Number one, stay faithful. Don't stop doing what's right. Never, don't ever feel like God needs you to compromise to help him out. Stay faithful. Number two, stay serving. Joseph's in prison. He needs a miracle, right? And instead, he is a miracle for a cupbearer who's on death row. And he gets his life back. And he gets his freedom. God put Joseph there to be the cupbearer's miracle. You're kind of like, well, yeah, why can't I do it from outside the prison? Why do I have to be on the inside to pull that off? If you're God, is it really necessary I actually have to be inside? Even in the midst of his darkest days, Joseph was other people's miracle. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you hurt. I don't care how short-changed you feel about life. You are still somebody's miracles if you will keep your eyes open. You are ne it's never too late for you to make a difference in somebody else's life. Another thing is this, forgiveness. You see this in Joseph. We often talk about how he had to forgive his brothers because there's a number of chapters related to him forgiving his brothers. But there's two people that I want you to notice who he had to forgive above his brothers. Potiphar's wife. He had the authority to call her in and go, you made my life miserable. And you made people look down their nose at me in a way that no man wants to be looked at, like I'm some kind of predator. I know you lied and you know. He could, he, he could have let her have it. And he didn't. And the cupbearer. Joseph could have called him in and said, Dude, two years? Two years. I did two years because you forgot. Wow. Man, Joseph could have said, I would be checking that cup twice before you drink out of it now as the cupbearer. 
And we'll just leave it there. Every day you're going to sweat it out. Huh. He not only forgave his brothers, he forgave some of the people in Egypt that made his life wretched. Forgiveness for people who make decisions that send us on a detour. And the last one is this, joy. I love Joseph. What we read in, in Genesis 50, he had said repeatedly all through Genesis, you guys intended this for harm, but God intended this for good. We're all good because I can see God's master plan in all this, and this is just how he was going to get me here. Because, see, first of all, the reason we're doing so well is God put me in the backbone labor force of Egypt. And Egypt's natural response in the middle of famine would don't feed the slaves. But if the slaves are not fed, the economy would collapse because they do all the work. And so Joseph was able to say, we not only save Egyptians, we save the workforce. Don't shortchange them because if we don't feed them, we might as well, we're sunk. And God used Joseph to save not just people of society, he used Joseph to save people that were considered sacrificial. Can I tell you something? Joy has a way of opening opportunities and, and helping us see things that we have missed. Joy has a way of helping us to do things that we otherwise would never do. Joy helps us to go above and beyond what is expected. And people say, why do you do that? And you go, because I like it. And some of them may look at you and go, are you nuts? Probably. But I'm having a great time being a nut. Can I tell you something? It's nice to care. It's nice to love. It's nice to see when that care and love changes somebody's life. It's nice to go, Thank you for letting me be a part of that change in that person's life. Who's next, Jesus? It's fun. It's joy has a way of elevating our vision and what we think is possible and what we can do. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to your feet this morning. Would you do that? And all over this building, would you just lift your hands? I want you to thank him for a God who has a plan for your life. And you know what? He may have detours that you don't see, but hey, I'm going to enjoy the ride and I'm going to enjoy the destination of where I'm headed. Come on, man. Let's praise him for that today.